We don't need everybody to become vegan. We don't need everybody to stop driving. We need everybody to change small things to make a big difference. EcoAlarm, the podcast where we break down the major factors affecting the environment and explore what we can do to help. I'm your host, Imani. And I'm your host, Bo. And today we'll be talking to Mark. Mark is a former USC professor and is now the founder of Earthshot, a nonprofit whose mission is to inspire climate action by engaging people in activities with a clean tech message. To do this, Earthshot offers three main activities a clean tech showcase where startup founders can exchange ideas. Video games where players can reduce their carbon footprint through in-game rewards. And an immersive virtual reality experience where people can learn about clean tech in museums, schools, state fairs, and other venues. We're so excited to talk to Mark today about what inspired them to start Earthshot and where they see it going next. Thank you, Mark, for coming on the podcast. If you can just start off by introducing yourself or telling us a little bit about your journey and how you got started with Earthshot. Thanks. Um, I'm Mark Bernstein. I'm president and co-founder of Earthshot. We're a 501c3 nonprofit to inspire people to take action on climate change by changing the narrative, presenting people with a positive clean tech vision of the future rather than trying to scare people into something that's not getting them to do anything. I mean, trying to tell people it's too late and scaring people is not exactly getting action. And we need people to feel hopeful about the future, to be able to take action about the future. And that's what we're trying to do. And at Earthshot, it's we're getting it where people are. So people are playing video games. So we're looking to make a video game that can inspire people through showcasing clean tech uh, we're looking to develop experiences, um, in-person experiences, and we're looking to create an information portal so that decision makers can actually figure out what they can do about things. And how we got there, I have marketing in my background, and I've been involved in climate change issues for 20 years. And for 20 years, I've been bothered by how we've messaged it. People just don't buy things based on fear. And people don't really take action based on fear, except in very rare circumstances like war. And trying to get people to do stuff when the messaging is all about how bad things are and kind of how hopeless things are just doesn't inspire people. So um, as we looked around and said, well, what can we do? Well, we actually know technology is here. Technology is cool. It's better electric cars, LED light bulbs, solar energy. It's actually better and cheaper. And so we can give people that information and get people excited about it. We can turn the tide on climate. Awesome. I'm curious how you landed on clean tech because I know you have a background in mathematics and then you did some stuff in energy management. So I'm wondering like what was the transition that kind of got you started specifically on like that marketing aspect or starting a nonprofit in general? So, I mean, if you go way back in my history, so I've been doing in the energy environment space on the economics, policy, technology side from the beginning. And some of it was environment, some of it was just energy management, but, but it was always about trying to bring renewables and efficiency into play and trying to, to explain why it's better 
and, and why it makes sense. And in the early days, it was kind of expensive, so it didn't always make economic sense. But as we moved forward in time, it got cheaper and it got better. And so now it actually makes economic sense. Um, and so I've been doing clean tech for a long time. The last 10 years, I've been helping clean tech startups um, from the very early days of, of setting a strategic business plan to helping them their messaging to helping them find investors. So everything from electric airplanes to hemp-based insulation material and lots of things in between. And so I've been working in the that space for a long time. And as I've seen technology improve and I see how it's from a business standpoint, it's the better business decision to choose clean tech rather than something else. And said, we've got to get that message out to people because most people just assume if they're going to use something that's better for the environment, it's got to cost more and it doesn't work as well. And that was the case 20 years ago. It's not the case today. And that's what we're trying to get across. And the idea behind trying to do a nonprofit was if we're trying to craft something and create a message, sometimes people will trust it more if it's not a for-profit making venture. And, yeah. and that's how we got into there. Um, and and I, I've spent a lo- lot of my career helping to take complicated problems and make them more understandable to the average person or to students. I've spent time as a professor at UPenn and at USC. Um, and a lot of it was how do I engage students in these issues and make it understandable and fun in a way that people will actually be inspired to do something. That's what I've done my whole career. And now we're trying to do it in a more, in a bigger way. Let's put it that way. That's great. So you mentioned some of the clean tech startups that you, you helped work on. And I was just curious if there's, there's one favorite project that, that you got exposure to that you, uh, you want to share more details on. Sure. And one is relatively recent. Uh, they're called Ampere. Um, and they flew the first commercial um, electric airplane for passengers. They're based out of Hawthorne. And they just got bought up by it. And they're still intact. But what their difference is, is a lot of people are saying, can we, we can do electric and hybrid airplanes and we got to build brand new ones. And that takes a really long time. And the difference that the Ampere founders had when I first met them and, and helped kind of develop some of the strategic thinking was, well, let's retrofit existing planes because then you don't have to certify the airframe. The airframe's already certified. All we have to do is certify the propulsion system. Um, and so they were really innovative in their thinking, innovative in their approach to how to make these planes work. And, and within five years, they've had certified commercial planes and, and flying. And they're just a cool group of folks um, doing really neat stuff and flying, currently flying hybrid planes, getting ready to fly fully electric planes for that short haul market. There are a few million flights a day, commercial flights a day that are less than 100 miles. Those can all be electric. There's not some niche market. This is a lot of flights, a lot of planes. They could all be electric today. Yeah, we just actually wrapped up a episode with someone who was talking more so about EV cars. But she said that the biggest thing had to do with like the infrastructure of it all. I'm wondering... I don't know if you would know like too much in detail about this, yeah. but in terms of actually like charging those planes, I feel like it would be a much more intensive process. But what they're designing is, so the battery packs are in the belly of the plane. You land, you pop out, 
the battery pack, you pop in a fresh one that's already charged, and in 10 minutes, you're flying again. Um, you're not sitting around waiting because these, these short-haul flights, you know, they turn around really fast, 6 to 12, 19 passenger planes. You know, they want to get people off and back on. So you, you build them so you pop off, pop out the batteries, pop in a fresh one, and you're gone. Um, and, and that's how they're designing. Years ago, there was an attempt to do that in electric cars as well better world place. Um, the problem is you needed all the car companies decide to put all the batteries in the same place. And that actually doesn't work for electric cars because you kind of got to, if you look at Tesla's or others, they're kind of the batteries are fit all over the place just to make it fit um, and to make it work right in a plane, you know, you've got this belly of the plane, you can just stick them there and it actually works for the weight as well. So from the flight standpoint of the plane, it works best to put them there in the belly of the plane. Yeah, just um, going back to the point mentioned earlier, you you said that Earthshot is developing video games as kind of a way to to inspire people and fight climate change. And I was just curious because that's really interesting to me. Um, how what inspired you to to go down that road? Yeah, so as we were trying to think about if we want to get a message out to people about clean tech, and not in a way of hitting people over the head, because if you just tell people traditional media, they're going to just you know, kind of go in one ear and out the other. And we want to be able to attract people of all demographics, all geographies. And, and we asked ourselves, well, where are people? They're on social media, but even social media, you got to do it quite right. But they're also on games. And so can we embed clean tech into games? People think it's really cool and exciting and check it out. And so that's why we started thinking about how do we get it into games? Our first game is an adventure chase game based around cars and showcasing electric vehicles. And the basic storyline is there's a crazy young professor in Bronx Community College in New York has invented this battery prototype. Really cheap, go a thousand miles on a charge, all great. Some industrial bad guys or other bad guys have found out about it and want to come and kidnap the dock and destroy the prototype. You got it. You're the graduate student. You got to get the dock and the battery from New York to LA to a safe factory before the bad guys catch it in your old junker car. And along the way, you get to upgrade with electric vehicle technology. Things that EVs can do today that regular cars can't. So as you upgrade and they start throwing obstacles in your way, you get up over them and around them like the EV Hummer crab walk. Car goes sideways, or the Rivian tank turn, you do a 180, or the Ford F-150 Lightning that can pull a million tons behind it. I mean, things that electric cars can do, regular cars can't. So you, this game, it's a fun adventure chase game, right? It's all about you upgrading this car. You can, it's not hitting you over the head with it, but it's fun things you can do in the car, have a race, have a chase, but you're also learning something about EVs and what they can do. The easiest thing to think about it is. The James Bond car in a movie, a regular internal combustion engine cannot do any of those things, but a Tesla could. You can do all the things a James Bond car in a Tesla. You can put all that stuff in there because it's got electric drive and things like that. So it's, it's put that in a video game and it's going to be fun. It's going to be cool. It's going to be exciting. That's actually the first game we're working on. Um, we, we expect to have a demo ready in a couple of months and, and working towards building a prototype. And what's the main audience, I guess, do you hope 
for these games? Do you targeting younger audiences, more like college age or everyone? Um, well, you know, hopefully everyone, but we know who plays racing games today. So they're 18 to 30 year old, 60% of them are males, but a growing number of women. But it's not, this is not quite a true racing game. It's more of an adventure game. So if you look at adventure games, there are a lot more women playing adventure games as well. So it's that cadre. And that's what we're working on now we're, as we're designing the game. Think about who do you want to influence? Who's playing these types of games? What do we got to put in these games to attract them? But it's primarily 20-year-olds. 20-year-olds, because they're the bulk of the gamers today. They're active on games. They spend a lot of money on games. They're there. So we want to design it for 20-year-olds who are also the ones who are spending the most money today, maybe buying a new car, getting their first apartment, you know, things like that. So it's, it's that age group that if we can inspire them to make some changes in their carbon footprint, we can have a huge impact. So I, I have a question. So, and I, I apologize for, for being maybe too forward with this. So how is Earthshot economically viable? How does, how does the organization make money? Are the gamers paying for the products or are the EV companies? So uh, do you play games? Yeah. Okay. How do those gaming companies make money? Right. So they're either making money by uh, you paying for the game, but most of the money is coming from in-game purchases. So we intend to do the same thing. Right. Um, the idea is, even though we're a nonprofit, you still got to make revenues. You got to make the next game. Right. So the idea is that um, the game will be free to play, basically. But we'll have uh, in-game purchases. You can do the upgrade things, um, make your car look kind of cool, things like that. So, you know, we, we don't expect this to be that much different than any other game out there. We're not trying to make a climate change feel good game. We're trying to make an exciting chase adventure game. And we don't have to earn as much money as a for-profit game, you know, made by EA Sports or something, but we still need to earn revenues. As a nonprofit, though, we are, you know, looking for sponsors and donors. So we're, you know, we're beginning to approach some of the car companies and say, hey, would you like to sponsor the development of the game and, and begin to build it out? Yeah, I think that, would... that makes sense. Yep. You know, so again, we don't want to build, we're not trying to build a climate change. Game. There are those games out there. There are some really cool games about climate change and oceans, but the only people who play them are people who care. And that's not who we, you know, we want them to play as well. But we also want, you know, somebody living in, you know, outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, drives a pickup truck to, to play the game. Or a young person in, in, um, you know, in Philadelphia or in, you know, Louisiana or any place else, right? And we want a, a, the demographic and geographic mix of everybody who plays the games to want to play this game. So is the goal to kind of subtly introduce the benefits of EVs without making it too obvious? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> but we also hope as we get the games out there, particularly as mobile games, to actually push through things through the game. So messaging, you can push messaging in your games. We also hope to push coupons and freebies through the games too. So let's say you're playing a game, you get some points, maybe you get a free LED light bulb coupon or a free Impossible Burger coupon or, um, you know, $1,000 off if, if you go into the dealer and they're buying an electric car, you know. So anything, you, you can actually push things through games too, but that's an aside. That's just to 
you know, once people are playing the game, you can kind of throw things at them. Um, and one thing we know about Americans, when they get coupons, they use them, particularly free coupons. So, you know, somebody in the middle of the country, you know, as opposed to here in L.A., you see impossible burgers all over the place, but they don't see them all over the country. Um, and so if somebody gets a coupon, they go try it. Maybe they'll like it and then continue to use it and, and reduce the amount of meat they consume. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to get out here. Gotcha. Awesome burgers are good. Um, I'm also curious, how is the goal to kind of integrate with, because I know you have kind of this like clean tech thing where you have the showcases and then you have video games. Do you ever intend to co-mix them or are these kind of separate entities within Earthshot? Um, so let me explain that a little bit. So we kind of have two spaces. We have the space to inspire the average person and then the space to try to give information to decision makers, whether it's companies or, or government policymakers. Um, and, and they do commingle, but the clean tech portal, clean tech is cool portal that we're building is more designed at decision making is being able to, if somebody says, okay, how do I get my building to be net zero carbon? We can, they can go in and find a whole bunch of technologies to do that. And we'll be, we're using artificial intelligence tools to search out technologies, service providers, and other things everywhere, everywhere around the world, looking through social media, looking through patents, looking through news articles, finding where these things are and having them available for people to be able to find them, understand what they are, and actually be able to communicate. It's almost like a little social network where you can actually have a community dialogue about technologies or about um, um, about some of these ideas that we'll curate and facilitate. Uh, and, and they kind of commingle because if you, if we can inspire people and they see the school electric vehicles and they get on their website and they see, they can find out all the different vehicles at some point we'll have that. Or somebody is playing a game that, you know, maybe we have a vision for a, like a, a better Sims eco pack, you know, and so somebody's, you know, upgrading with their super efficient AI technology based, super LED lighting, solar house thing that they've built. And they go and say, well, how can I get it from my own house? Right. And so I have a space for that as well. Uh, you know, at, at that, you know, my, my comment on Sims, if you play Sims, the eco pack, kinda, yeah. <laughs> the house makes you live like a hippie. And that's not exactly what we, that's not a cool clean tech house. That's an old style house. Um, you can make a super efficient zero carbon house that is the coolest house on the street. And that's what they ought to have in there. I want to work on that too. <laughs> Be cool if you did a collaboration with the Sims. I think they, they need help lately. <laughs> I don't think the Sims community isn't very happy with AA at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so we're working on trying to, maybe somebody in the community will have heard this podcast or some of the others and they'll contact us. Yeah, we are trying to reach out to them and, and see if we can we can help them come up with some ideas. Uh, kind of just going off of that. So you talked about EV games, uh, clean house energy games. Uh, are there other ideas that you want to work on in the future just to get the scoop? Yeah. So the other one we have in concept development is called The First Chef. And it's a role-playing game in which you're a chef today and you and your dog get magically transported back in time to a pre-civilization community of hunters and gatherers who are not very good at hunting or gathering. Um, and so you need to go and find food. 
you need to forage in the forest, you need to figure out what's edible um, and cook for them. So you become the world's first chef. And so it's like a civilization playing game, almost like a Stardew Valley, but taken back in time. And as you find stuff, you can build, you can start agriculture, you can start building the civilization. But the key here is you're going to go in the forest and you're going to have this little scanner with you. And you look at something that kind of looks like a carrot, sort of. And then you look at it with your scanner and it shows you what its current day version is. So it's a carrot and what the nutrition and sustainability aspects of the carrot is. And so some of your measures of success is not only how how much you feed the community, but how healthy they are, um, how much waste you produce, how much you know, how sustainable it is of the agriculture you're producing. But again, it's still basically a role-playing game. Um, and, you know, you, you've got to feed the minions. You've got to keep them happy. You can then eventually trade with other, other communities as you build out your civilization. Um, so that's the other concept, game concept that we have that, that we've thought about trying to develop. And, and you get transported with your dog and the whole role for the dog, of course, is a little bit of, of fun and side play, but also a lot of revenue produ- production because you can kind of choose your own dog and, you know, the dog can talk to you if you want, you know, things like that. And, and so that's the other game concept that we, we have in play. Yeah, I know before we started, you also mentioned this idea for people to train AI to identify deforestation could you kind of go into that a little more because i just thought that was really interesting yeah so that's not quite on the drawing table yet it's just the ideas in my head but um so what we what's happening now is for rainforest problems there are satellite imagery we we can get satellites of everything and there are people today you know looking at those satellite imagery all the time and trying to spot early signs of deforestation, either somebody doing illegal logging or or burning something for agriculture. And if you spot it early, you can get people out there to stop it. And they're using the the visual observations on the ground and stuff and training and and training um, the satellites and the machine learning to be able to spot it automatically. But it takes there aren't enough of it going on. There aren't enough people and there aren't enough things. So my idea was to, to create a, a gaming competition, get gamers around the world to be looking at the satellite imagery, identifying potential hotspots that at the same time can train, do machine learning because as you're training computers as people are seeing it and basically create a global competition for people to watch satellite imagery, find stuff and, and identify where things are happening. So that's a longer term idea. But if also anybody listening wants to take it on, somebody at USC in the gaming or satellite imagery sector, that's, that'd be great. Um, but it's another way to think about how we can get the community gamers online. Because we've seen those things you know, in other places where communities of gamers or communities of hackers have right, gotten together to do something good and positive. Um, and so we can try that here as well. I'm wondering if you have, you mentioned people can get involved if they maybe want to start up that. I think that's a little, (laughs) that could be a lot to do. I'll ask the AI people in my class. We'll see what we can get done. But for um, Earthshot, just in general, though, if people want to get involved, how can they do so? Um, So they can send a message. We're looking for people who can help us um, from a variety of different things. At the moment, we're trying to begin to build out our social media presence. So if anybody's got experience doing social media and wants to help us out in, in there, because we, we need to get ourselves known better. Um, and so it's, 
And it's not just Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, which we're doing, but it's, you know, trying to figure out a TikTok strategy. If anybody's out there on Twitch and, you know, part of the Twitch gaming community, um, we'd love folks in that community to begin to look at us and, and, and spread the word on us. So there's that, the, the, that outreach strategy. And then if there are some game designers who want to work with us on as we're beginning to build out the game design documents and, and initial demos for some of the games who want to volunteer to work on some of that. And at the same time, we're getting ready to, along with that first game, we've got a narrative going behind it and we want to do an online comic and actually build a, a comic, a story around it and doing a, 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 a um, an online digital comic on it. And so if, if there are any artists out there who, who want to do a comic with us, that's great too. Spread the word, get people to sign up, get people to donate. Um, but we do need bodies of people to help on certain areas and always happy to have people kind of connect and help. And we've got a few folks uh, volunteering in some areas and look forward to more of them. Awesome. And, and so you can, you can get us, we are at earthshot.us is our website, then info at earthshot.us. I'm mark at earthshot.us. We are Twitter, earthshot underscore us, Instagram, earthshot.us, all the different places. Awesome. I said you got all the domains. That's always good. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's always like, and then our Twitter is a little different. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's good. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, unless you have anything else you want to talk about, we can. Um, no, it just, you know, it, everybody can do something, right? And everybody can make a difference. We don't need everybody to become vegan. We don't need everybody to stop driving. We need everybody to change small things to make a big difference. And, and many of those things don't have to cost you more and you don't have to sacrifice to do it. And so it's just sort of getting that message, getting people to understand it's not that hard um, and spreading the word and thinking about things. So we, have a, we also have a podcast called Their Shot Now. We've had a few interesting people on there. One of the things that uh, somebody said, you know, if you're on a big Zoom call, right, and lots of people on there and somebody is showing something on the screen, which means you don't have to be seen, turn off your camera. Because you turn off your camera, it saves energy. So if everybody turned off, it's not huge amounts of energy, but you think about the millions of people on Zoom all the time and the millions of little things that happen. Uh, it can it can make a difference. Yeah, just got to get creative about the solutions. Yeah, and and that's the problem is people just don't know what the solutions are is the biggest thing, and that's what we're trying to get at is give people an idea, give people some hope, give people some positive vision of the future that everybody can strive for. Yeah, and hopefully we did that today. I think that's also kind of the vision I had for this podcast because. I feel like I'm always like a pessimistic kind of person <laughs> to be completely frank. But um, this podcast has helped a lot though, just like finding people who are making those little steps and things that we can do. And if we combine those all together, then we can make some progress. And, and I continue to be optimistic because I keep seeing lots of young people with lots of great ideas in the clean tech space, coming out with new technologies, new practices, new ways of doing things. 
and they're finding funding and they're getting out there. Um, and you know, the, the huge numbers of 20 year olds who are putting together new businesses, um, that will have an impact on the environment, the impact on the planet is just amazing. Um, there are, there are new funders happening. And so I continue to be optimistic um, because your generation seems to have it right. Uh, and, and it making it, it's not just saying it, but doing things, uh, walking the walk, talking the talk, um, but actually making, making things. And so that's why I'm optimistic. And that's why I'm trying to bring this optimism uh, to people. Okay, that'll wrap up our episode for today. For more information on EcoAlarm and resources on topics covered in this episode, follow us at EcoAlarm Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening. Tune in every other Friday and we'll see you next time. Bye.